Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, open to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. We're looking at verses 27 through 44, and also, also Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Today, we join churches from across this state, across this nation, Across the entire world and throughout all the centuries and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the love of God that caused Jesus to come to earth and to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross so that you and I may have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with him. It is the love of God that continually offers us new life. Through Jesus, our Redeemer and Deliverer. So the day we celebrate and rejoice, today you and I worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, love is the driving force behind all our sacrificial actions towards our family and friends and we will gladly pay any price in order to demonstrate how much we care. Love is powerful and moves us to do amazing things. It was the love of God that sent His Son for us. I came across this description of love of God as actually a song by that name. Listen to the words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can never tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, bound out with care, God gave His Son to win. His errant child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall evermore be the saints and the angels' song. That part of that song where it talks about filling the ocean with ink and literally draining the oceans dry, trying to describe and contain what it means when you talk about the love of God. You know, before there was an Easter Sunday, there was a Good Friday. And before there was the resurrection, there had to be a death. The first point I want to make this morning is there can only be one king. And that was some of the driving force or the only driving force that the religious leaders of the time had against Jesus. For 33 years, He walked on this earth serving the hungry, healing the broken, and delivering the oppressed. 
He announced the coming kingdom of God and the restoration of all things. He claimed to be the Son of God. Now many believed that He was the true King of all things, but that caused a lot of conflict in thinking that way and teaching that way. The religious leaders worked together to have Jesus arrested. He was portrayed and brought before the Sanhedrin for his claims to be God. They took him before Pilate, governor of Judea. They were celebrating the Passover at that time, and it was a custom for the governor to release a prisoner to them. So he asked the crowd, who would you have them release? Jesus from Nazareth or Barabbas, a known criminal? thief and murderer. They cried out, release Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus from Nazareth? And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, not wanting a big riot on his hands and Caesar to come to him about that, called for a ceremonial bowl full of water. And he turned to the crowd and washing his hands, he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. Instructed his next in command to do what the people wanted. I heard a evangelist one time, Pilate is all in eternity forever washing his hands, trying to get the blood off. Jesus was barely beaten to death. Scourged is the word you see in verse 16. That means to beat severely with a multi-strand whip. And each strand would have bits of metal and bone knotted in them that would tear off the flesh. That was the highest level of Roman beatings that preceded execution. And this is where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the praetorium of their headquarters and gather the whole Roman cohort or battalion around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed or a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put on, put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service, or they compelled him into service, to bear or carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him. And above his head, they put the charge or the accusation against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers or criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse or blaspheming at him, wagging or shaking their heads and saying, 
You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes or the teachers and elders, were mocking Him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down from the cross and we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue or deliver Him now if He delights Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with Him were also insulting Him with the same words. The crucifixion of Jesus is marked by ridicule and disbelief. The soldiers mocked Him by placing that crown of thorns on His head, that scarlet robe on Him, bowing down before Him, mocking Him, Hail, King of the Jews. And as we just read, taking that reed and hanging up upon the head. They placed the sign above Him on the cross, calling Him the King of the Jews. They didn't believe that to be true. They were mocking Him and making fun of Him the whole time. Even those who passed by mocked Jesus by telling Him to save Himself. If He truly was the Son of God, Jesus, save Yourself from that cross. Priests and the teachers, as we read, tell Him to get off the cross if He truly was the King of Israel. You see, none of them understood that the true test of Jesus' power and ability was not in saving Himself from the crucifixion, but His ability to overcome death that the crucifixion will result in. And sometimes we miss the proof of Jesus' Lordship because we are expecting Him to prove Himself in a certain way and He does something different. Many individuals have decided in their hearts they will never trust in Jesus, unless He meets their expectations, unless Jesus heals a relative of theirs, or gives them a job, or stops world hunger, or simply just writes something in the sky, they will never trust Him and obey His authority in their lives unless He does something like that. Because they can never allow themselves to see Him as King unless He does what they want Him to do. And that same kind of mentality plagued those who were there that day when Jesus was upon the cross. When we demand Jesus to prove Himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing Him working in and around our lives. See, as I stated, this first point, there can only be one King. Who's King of your life? Whoever has control of your heart. The center of all emotion and motivation. When we sit on the throne, we are selfish and self-centered. We want to do things that would benefit us. We can't sit on the throne. We need Jesus to sit on that throne. Because when Jesus sits on the throne of our hearts, We learn to love sacrificially. We put others first. We follow His leading to love sacrificially. I've said this once and I will say it again. Jesus is not asking us to do anything. 
he hasn't done or is currently doing himself. Follow me, he says. My load is very light, and so is my burden, he says. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So when it comes to the way that you speak, the way you act, and the way you live, who is king of your heart? Because you see, there can only be one king. And that place rightfully belongs to Christ. Love overcame death. Aren't you glad that where we stopped in Matthew is not the end of the story? Three days after Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb, to everyone's shock and amazement, He appears to people. This had never happened before. They saw Him die on the cross, and yet here He is talking with them, walking with them, eating with them. Jesus' love for humanity had overcome death and defeated evil once and for all. His resurrection is proof that He is indeed the true King over all. Though many doubted and mocked Him, death did not have the last word or say. Love did. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Matthew chapter 28, 16-20, we see Jesus' words to His disciples right before He goes up and ascends into heaven. Let's read that together. Matthew 28, 16-20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But, do you see this right here? But some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the form of that Greek word, go therefore, a better literal way of translation would be, as you are going. Not getting to the destination, but as you are walking through life. He tells us to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, literally all the days, even to the end of the age. What a great promise He makes. He's going to be with us every single day of our lives. That Greek translated disciple means to be a pupil or cause one to be a pupil, a a student. We are to allow ourselves to become students and to learn the way of Christ. And we we are to help others become students and learn as well. To be a disciple of Christ is a lifelong process. It's day after day, little by little, becoming more like Jesus. So you have justification, sanctification, and 
justification. Justification is that moment when you trusted Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in, sits on the throne of your heart, and He starts to change things. And in that moment, you are now justified, hence the name justification, in the eyes of God. He doesn't see you in your sin and your shame. He sees you through the lens of the precious blood of Christ that washes all our sin away. Then comes sanctification. Daily dying to self and becoming more like Christ. Every day. A lifelong process. And of course, glorification is when that day when He comes back and will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. As a side note, this is kind of a an obvious answer to this question, what will be absent from heaven? Sin will be totally eradicated. Now we think about seeing Christ, and we think about seeing people who have gone on before, we think about meeting those great heroes of the Bible we've read and studied about. But there will be no sin. So our fellowship with God will be totally uninterrupted. We can look at Him face to face. And our relationship with each other will be perfect. What does that look like? I have no idea. You know what that means? No jealousy. No backbiting. No stealing. All of that will be gone. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue around the throne of God lifting up praises and worship to Him for all eternity. As we commit our lives to Christ, becoming more like Him, we learn to serve others. We learn to practice self-control. When we submit to the love of Jesus in our lives, we are compelled to live like Him and invite others to join with us. Have you ever been around a person, just the way they act and handle them, you get to see the love of Christ in them. That's the type of people we need to be. They don't see us necessarily, but they they see something different in us. The year 2020 was a terrible year. And to be honest, 2021 doesn't look to be much better. I said this earlier today. People are hurting. And there may be some in here right now, you're hurting. You're looking for an answer and the world keeps telling you, just buy this, just do that, and you'll feel better about yourself. And yet, time and time again, you follow that road and it leads to nothing but despair and heartache and hurt. I'm telling you, stop walking that road. Turn and face Christ. Repent and turn back to Him. He will never let you down. He will give you peace that surpasses all comprehension. And you will feel the love of God just envelop you. But you have to decide. It has to be your choice. He tells His disciples that He's going to be with them, with us until the very end. And maybe some of you in this room think that God has forgotten about you somehow. I want to remind you that you are never alone. Never alone. 
As a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance, disease, Christ is with you. He loves you. He wants you to know that this morning. This is a building. We call it going to church. Technically, that's wrong. You don't go to church. You are the church. This is where the people of God come to worship, to encourage, to build up, to cry, to weep, to laugh, to experience life together. All of us have our problems. All of us have obstacles in our lives. Not one person in this room is better than the next. But what separates us from the rest of the world is our relationship that we have with Christ. Some of you have never made the decision to let love reign in your life. Maybe you're waiting for Jesus to prove Himself to you somehow, but that that has not happened. Perhaps you don't want to give up control of your life. Let's just look at that for a moment. Controlled, if you will. How much control do you really have anyway? Here in North Texas, especially where I live up in the city, the great big city of Bellevue. Perhaps you've seen it as you whiz by on 287 doing 75 miles an hour. And we live like we're in control, but this time of year, it's our favorite time of year, isn't it, girls? Storm season. Let that siren go off, but we're running around like mad people. I see some old family members throw the people out of storm solo trying to get in. No, that's not actually true. I'm kind of. But my point being, we want to think we're so much control, but the weather changes and we're running like crazy. Look at last year, 2020. Can you believe? That the whole society shut down? Could it be that God said, I'm going to get your attention now. I'm going to take away everything that grabs your interest that you put before me. I'm going to take professional sports out. Whoop, there it goes. I'm going to take the movies out. Whoop, there it went. And maybe we had some relationships in our family that weren't good. Guess what? We got to spend a lot of time with family, didn't we? And some of you are saying, I'm ready to get out of there. But how much control do you really have? I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. But no one in this room knows how much time they have left. And just because I'm younger than you does not necessarily mean I have more time. There's two things we have absolutely no control over. Number one, the time of our own physical death. And number two, when Christ will return. So today I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. I invite you to give him your heart and to become a disciple of his for the rest of your life. In just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to come and I'll introduce you to him. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to make fun of you. We'll walk beside you. We'll pray with you, we'll laugh with you, and we'll weep with you. But we'll never will mock you or make fun of you. 
Some of you have done that already. Some of you have trusted Jesus, but you've grown tired of obeying Him. Maybe you've strayed from Him and been living for yourself. Easter reminds us that we can once again repent and obey. He still loves you. He's still with you. Commit once again to live your life for Him. Ask and you shall receive. Repent and confess your sins. And Scripture tells us when we confess our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know it's Easter. Time of celebration. He is risen. But are you tired? You're tired of this going through the motions? When you read the Bible or you read someone's account, testimony, you go, man, I don't, why don't something like that happen in my life? I guess what I'm trying to ask you, are you tired of just playing church? Do you really, really experience God? That God that raised you, you know, as a believer, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. He can do things in your life you can't possibly ever imagine, but you have to surrender to Him. You have to surrender to Him. The Bible is one long story about God's faithfulness, and He is trustworthy. Time and time and time again, God promises He keeps it. God promises He keeps it. God promises He keeps it. Even when the situation looks dire, God always keeps His promises. This Easter, my prayer for all of you is this, that you will see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the proof of His love and that that love will reign in your life today, tomorrow, and for all time. What Jesus is offering you this morning is 100% unconditional love. A love so deep and so vast, our English language cannot even begin to try to describe it. If you want to experience that this morning, I invite you to come. I'll pray with you. What a great Easter it would be to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the day that you became a new creation, a new creature. You ever wished in your life, like in a computer, you hit Alt, Control, Delete, and everything starts over? Are you in a point in your life where Tim, I've messed up so bad. Well, Jesus offers what that alt-control-delete for a computer. He can take that if you give it all to Him. You're not going to tell Him anything. He, or, he Think about it. He already knows you better than you know yourself. And guess what? He still loves you. You ain't going to tell Him anything. Go, oh, I didn't know that. And He's still calling out to you. Your sin from the past the present and the future, covered. Some of you in this room have been a Christian for a long, long time. 
Perhaps you've been sensing God calling you and go deeper in your walk with Him. And for every reason, you just keep holding back. Can I tell you something I've learned in my few short years on this earth? There's freedom in letting go. If this God can take care of the universe, speak it into existence, and keep it going, if this same God can send His Son and raise Him from the dead, if this God is so powerful, He can do all this, and I know that He can take care of me. It comes down to that, doesn't it? Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him to say, God, here it is. And I'm going to end with this. Talk about freedom and letting go. My three girls are here this morning. Love them very much. You know the hardest thing about being a parent? Letting go. And saying, God, they weren't mine to begin with. You allowed me the privilege and the honor to be their daddy. I've done the best I could. Lord, you know how many times I've messed up, and now I trust you, and I place each one of them back into your hands. There's freedom and letting go. What are you holding on to? What's keeping you back? That's a question that only you can answer. It's time for the invitation. You know the Easter story. We've proclaimed it all morning long. Do you know Him? Do you want to experience Him? It's real. Jesus is real. God is real. The story really happened. It's a historical fact. But once again, it comes down to you. What are you going to do? Because at the end of the day, as I told Rogers this morning, at the end of the day when I stand before my Maker and my Creator, I can't say, well, look what Roger did, Lord. God's going to say, Tim, my son died for you. What did you do about it? What did you do? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together. And Father, as your spirit continues to move and stir our hearts, I pray, dear God, that nothing will hold us back to answering the call you've placed on all our lives. Father, for those in this room and the sound of my voice that are hurting, God, I pray that you break every chain and knock down every wall, Father, that they will know how much you love them, how much you care. Father, for us who have been Christians for such a long time, we've grown weary of, of this life. Father, I pray that You pull us close to You. That You remind us of who we are. Remind us of what You already have done. What You currently are doing and what You promise to do in the future. You are Creator. You are Sustainer. You are Redeemer. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning 
in the end. All life and all life's blessings come from your right hand. Oh God, have mercy on us. May your spirit continue to move. And may we respond to your voice calling us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just stand with me, please.